Welcome to Audit 15 Fun Podcast. My goal with this podcast is to bring relevant internal audit topics to the table every 15 days. Today, I'm going to be talking about auditing that matters. My name is John Tabor, your host. And to talk about that topic today, I am privileged to have Norman Marks as my guest. Norman is a retired CAE and member of the IIA's North American Hall of Distinguished Practitioners. He has written a dozen or so books on internal audit and risk management and blogs about them frequently. Richard Chambers has said that he's probably the number one thought leader in internal auditing. He has been an internal audit leader in several companies, including Business Objects, Maxtor, Selectron, and Tosco. I am privileged to have you as a guest here today. Welcome to the podcast, Norman. Thank you, John. It's my privilege to be with you. Well, so we'll we'll get we'll go straight to the business here as far as so you have a, a book on auditing that matters. And I had the chance to review that book and I have several questions. So one of the things that you mention in the book is that you have to you have a quote from Wayne Gretzky, yes. uh, who was a hockey player, and he said, I skate where the puck is going to be. Uh, so for from an internal audit perspective. You know, it makes sense to go where the risk is going to be. But sometimes I think, uh, you know, CAEs or directors, uh, they, they may go a little too early and, you know, the business is not yet ready to be audited. So from your perspective, where do you draw the line of, you know, when it's a good time to audit versus when it's a good time to just wait, even though that risk may be something that's relevant to the business? That's a good question, John. I think it, it, it comes back to our job is not to do auditing. Our job is not to perform audits. Our job is to help the organization be successful. Uh, we want to make sure that uh, the, the leadership of our organization can rely upon the business procedures, processes, systems, organization, and people uh, to, to help it achieve its goal, to function the way in which it, it should. It's like driving... Uh, down the freeway, you want your engine and the car to, to function properly. It's not a matter of whether it functioned properly in the past. It's a matter of whether it's functioning today and will function as you go further down the, the, the road. So it, it's about understanding what is it that our leadership needs. And they need to know that, for example, I was talking to uh, an organization yesterday that is in the middle of a very long ERP implementation. Now you can wait until the ERP implemented is, is fully implemented and audit it then, or, and, and then you can find out all the things they did wrong. Or what you can do is get in the car with them, right? And be checking to make sure that when it is in fact implemented, it will have the right controls, it'll have the right security, it'll work the way which it should. And this comes back to some of the core principles for effective internal auditing that the IIA published a few years ago. And I was privileged to be on that task force that came up with them. And it talks about some of the principles being uh, that internal audit is forward looking, right? And it's providing advice and insight. So it's yes, assurance, advice and insight, and that doesn't mean you have to audit something that's in place. What we should be doing is proactively 
getting out there and making sure that things will be good in the future. Okay. So um, we should be thinking about advising, thinking about sometimes the consulting side, as well as auditing things that are already in place. So in the, in the midst of a turbulent environment, we should be looking to see, okay, management expects to do this. If they do that, will they have the right controls in place? So let me, um, let me tell you a story. So this is one of my favorite stories. It's, it's a real life story. When I, you mentioned Selectron, I took over as the head of internal audit. I don't know whether I've got this in the book, maybe I do. Uh, but I took over as head of internal audit. There was an existing internal audit department that was in the US and uh, there was also a division of internal auditors in Singapore, but it's a global organization. And the, the team in Singapore had just recently con completed an audit of our operations in Shenzhen, China. Shenzhen is a large city relatively close to Hong Kong. Um, and the auditors had gone in there and, and uh, the audit was completed and I was presented with the draft audit report. Now, the, the department was set up uh, for whatever reason, the paper was all glossy paper. So this draft was printed on glossy paper and the top half of it was a really nice table. And it had in the first column, all the different areas of risk that they were looking at. And the second column was a traffic light display, red, yellow, green, uh, as to whether the controls were appropriate to address those particular sources of risk. The third column was the number of significant findings and the fourth column was other, other, uh, other issues that have been identified, the number of them. And below that was very good. It was actually the overall opinion on the auditor Shenzhen. But when I picked it up, I was blinded because the traffic lights were all red. Everything in that table was red and it just <laughs> hit it up and it went straight in my face, right? Right. So I looked at the, uh, the, the opinion underneath it and it just said, the controls are unsatisfactory, okay? So I called up the director for Singapore, who's gonna be my direct report. Um, her name was Audrey. And I said, Audrey, what does this mean? You know, after doing the, the normal introductions. Right. Audrey, what does this mean? And she said, well, the controls are not good enough. I said, Audrey, what does that mean? And after a little bit of time, she, she wasn't getting it. So I said, Audrey, think about this. I want you to call me back the same time tomorrow. Okay, recognizing the 16-hour time difference. Right. And I want you to tell me what you would do if you got on the elevator in the fourth floor of the corporate building, and when you got on, on the elevator, the, the CEO for Asia Pacific, Chester, was there. And he said, Audrey, good to see you. I hear you've just completed an audit of Shenzhen. What do I need to know? And I want you to answer him by the time you get down to the ground floor. Oh, wow. Yeah. This is a true story. Right? I actually did this. So she called me back the next day. And she said, Norman, I think I got it. I would tell Chester that the controls 
in Shenzhen will not be sufficient to support the strategy for for the Asia region of moving operations out of Singapore and out of certain places in, in Indonesia into Shenzhen, China, freeing those other places up for a different kind of development work. So this is now looking forward. Right. About how what we are doing can help the leaders of our organization make the informed and intelligent decisions right. to be successful. Okay. And this is the only thing that matters, right? Because Absolutely. providing information which matters to them, telling them that it's satisfactory or unsatisfactory, it's like, well, we don't like it. And it's up to you to figure out whether that's important to you. Right. <laughs> we're actually going to tell you, and we're actually going to fix, uh, we're going to include that in terms of how we do, which orders we're going to do, how we're going to do them, when we're going to do them. So we are providing information to you when you need it, right? Not, you see, if you wait until something's already done and then go in, this is like uh, the old joke about the internal audit going in and bayoneting the wounded. Right, yes. <laughs> I actually saw that shirt yesterday. <laughs> and, and, and our job should be to, to, to actually prevent there being a shooting in the first place. Right. There's nobody there. To, to be bayoneted. We're, we're there to uh, prevent as much as we can. And if we have to, we're then there to um, uh, help apply the medicine and the band-aids. Here I'll tell you another story, uh, which I don't think is, it, maybe it, it, it is maybe in the book or not, I don't remember. But um, my team at business at um, Tosco, Tosco, um, operated the Circle K convenience stores and Union 76 gas stations. Uh, it's about 6,000 different outlets across mostly uh, the southern part of the U.S. and also uh, up into New York and, and New England. Mm-hmm. And the company was in the process of implementing a major um, new system, actually multiple systems, in the convenience stores and in the uh, marketing division's headquarters. And I put a very strong team um, with a mixture of business and IT people in there to help me help the organization with advice um, and assessment as to whether the controls and security would be fine when they turned the switch and everything was was working. Um, well, my team found that the implementation was extraordinarily high risk. Not so much in terms of controls um, from a business point of view, but in terms of the ability of the system to actually process all of the transactions from these 6,000 stores. And they came to me and told me all of this. And I sent them in to talk to the, I didn't go because I had other things uh, to take care of. But I had very strong managers who were who were leading this initiative. Uh, they went in to talk to the steering committee, which had the C, corporate CFO, corporate CIO, as well as the marketing CEO and CIO and CFO, and talk to the steering committee. And they they shared that there would be a high risk that the project would fail when this turned it on. And the business disruption would be immense, right? Because now you go into a store and and the store couldn't process your sale, right? Right, right. So uh, a big issue. So there was a good 
discussion uh, among the steering committee members about can we afford to delay? They recognized and agreed with the risk. Okay, they agreed with the facts. That was not a problem. It was a matter of what do we do about it, right? So they decided that it was actually more risky to delay than to go forward. So my team came back to me and I said, and then they told me this, they're somewhat disappointed. And I said, well, this is the right business decision, right? This is a business decision to take the risk because right. it, was a, it was better to take that risk than, than to delay and all the consequences um, of that delay which would not necessarily reduce the risk, that's the trouble. Um, I said, what can we do about it? And so they thought about it and they went back and talked to the uh, CE, CIO and, and uh, the user team. And they said, we can help you identify exactly where in our system it would fail. And we'll work with you to identify what we can do to monitor those places those vulnerabilities, if you like, those areas where it's more likely to fail. And so they worked with management to put in that monitoring, have preparations and band-aids available. Um, the, the emergency services was there, if you like. And then when they turned it on, it failed exactly where my team said it was going to fail. Yes. Right? But they were able to keep it going. And they went through and it's a su successful implementation. So this is, this is an example of auditing that matters. We're there to help them be successful. We're not there to audit them after the fact and, and bayonet the wounded. Right, yes. I love your, uh, what you, the story you had, you had there about the, the elevator, you know, like what, what do you need to say like within like, you know, like within one minute to the CEO, that, that's the part that matters from an audit, right? It's not like the risk ranking. And you recently wrote an article too on like moving away from, from doom management to, and I, I love that article. It's like, it's helping the business to make decisions instead of just saying, yeah, this is not working. And, you know, 80% of the time they know that's not working. <laughs> so, yeah. uh, so, you know, kind of related to that, but maybe moving into a little bit different direction here. So uh, should audit always be aligned with strategic objectives? And to give you a little bit of context on that question too is, you know, some of the strategic objectives may be something that's not like something that's auditable or it may be like some gray areas that, you know, auditors are not like comfortable in, like, should we still be including that as part of the work that we're doing? Um, maybe just because, you know, we don't have the expertise or like what, what, what would you do there if it's like a strategic objective that it's kind of gray and it's, you know, like a lot of people don't know what to do. Like how, how can the internal audit department help there? Uh, well, that last part is the, is the key question. How can internal audits help? Right, so there have been multiple times in, in, in my life where um, we have done things which uh, a lot of people wouldn't necessarily think of, let alone think they could, they could do it. So I, th I think that we need to understand what the organization is trying to achieve, right? How it measures success, and then what are the risks to that? What needs to go right as well as what co could go wrong? And then... If we see that 
as an area of, of risk that is significant to the organization and its success, we should be asking that question, how can we help? Okay, so there have been a number of times when um, that has come up. My, my favorite example is at, at back at Tosco in the marketing division. Um, I used to attend the executive committee meetings of the divisions. And I was in there once uh, for the marketing division and the CEO, Bob, asked the head of marketing, how are we doing with our advertising campaign? Now, if you don't have, especially in, in, in a market like convenience stores, where there's a lot of competition from 7-Eleven and the other gas stations, um, marketing really makes a difference. You have to have something different to talk about. And I remember when I was there, we, we had this um, first, first time, uh, we had this beautiful coffee that uh, was specially ground and it was designed just for the convenience store stations and really important because a lot of people wanted to get a cup of coffee on their way to work. So they would yeah. stop in at the convenience store, get gas, get a cup of coffee, right? And it was really, really good coffee. Um, later, they actually sold this same coffee on, on uh, airlines. Oh, wow. So, but this time, the marketing person says, we're not doing well because we can't think of what to say. And if we have, and to, to go in and spend millions of dollars without anything interesting to say is a waste of time. So the, the CEO was not happy with that and said, well, are you not getting any ideas? And he said, no, we, we've, we can't think of anything interesting. So afterwards, I went back and I sat down with the CEO and I said, Bob, it sounds like there's some kind of a problem with the imagination and creativity in marketing. We may not be experts in marketing. We may not be experts in a lot of things, but we are good at process. We are good at auditing how people do things. And I've been a student of business practices. I read some interesting articles and books about creativity and innovation. And how about if I do a little bit of, of, an, of, a, of an engagement, a project, and see if I can find out why there's no flow of ideas because we need that, not only for, for this advertising campaign, but just in general, right? And so I took that on and I went and, and I found the problem. I found the problem. The people in marketing um, didn't want to listen to anybody else. And so there were, there were a lot of people who were running the convenience store business who, who knew what the customers wanted, yeah. but marketing wasn't listening to them. So I was able to get out and, and tackle this one. There was another time where at, at, uh, at Maxtor, um, there was a lot of concern about the, um, the cost of, of manufacturing. And so I said, well, okay, I'm a CPA and a chartered accountant. Okay, I went out and did some digging of my own to confirm see if there's any way in which we could cut the cost of manufacturing. And then got on board with the, the CFO's plan to, to build a new plant um, in, in Thailand to replace one we had in Northern California. So there's, there's all of these situations. It's about we need to be doing things that will help the organization be successful. 
and asking how can we help, right? Maybe it's understanding um, what needs to go right and what could go wrong and say, is, is there some process involved here that we can look at either in a consulting or advisory uh, or, or an assurance role and, and point out, okay, you've got a blockage here. Let's remove that blockage. There's an opportunity here. I mean, one of the things I've done in the past, for example, is uh, go to management and, and say, you could use these new tools, these new advanced analytics to change your processes and improve them. So we're getting ahead. Again, it's, it's still forward looking. And it comes back to, to my, my mantra that auditors are not auditors. Okay. They are business people right. who business card says audit, but you but you are a business person and you need to be thinking like a business person and advising management to do what you would do if you were in that shoe in, in the in their shoes. Yeah, absolutely agree. And yeah, my hats off to you to, for you know auditing the marketing department. I think that's an area that's often overlooked in certain companies, as far as like from an internal audit perspective, because it is so hard to to audit. I've actually heard from uh, someone who was in marketing. You know, like uh, the holy grail of marketing is knowing uh, what like the money that you're spending. Like, what's your ROI on what you're spending? You know, like. 50% of it is working, but you don't know the 50, you know, like the money that you're spending, what what of that is working versus not working. But I'm glad that you're able to get the connection there from the marketing department to the people who are at the store level and make that connection, you know, get them to listen to the customers. So changing gears here a little bit uh, on, on the book, you mentioned that you have a rule of thumb for audits you actually mentioned you don't necessarily need to have an audit plan or at least from your experience you uh, may not have an audit plan uh, in certain years and that an audit should not be should be 200 hours or less can you elaborate a little more on the reason why uh, audits should be so short because that's that's really different than what a lot of places do right so <clears throat> there's always an audit plan the thing is that my, my audit plan is continuously updated to, uh, to reflect what's happening in the business and what's happening in, in, in the business context and the risk to the business because risk doesn't change. Sorry, risk doesn't wait to change until you uh, are ready for it. It's changing all the time. And we need to be sufficiently agile to, to, to switch our attention and focus on what matters now and will matter in the future. Going back to that Gretzky quote, of going to where the risk is going to be, we need to, to be able to do that as well. So what Richard Chambers uh, and, and I have both talked about is auditing at the speed of risk, right? Mm -hmm. So being able to do that. Now, if you want to be agile, a couple of things have to happen. First of all, audits should only audit, the scope of an audit should be limited to what is important to the organization's success. And I'm talking about the enterprise as a whole, if you can. Limit it, focus, focus in on what's really important. Don't include in an audit an area there where if everything went wrong, it really wouldn't matter to the board and CFO and CEO, right? It really wouldn't matter to them. There are a lot of things that do would matter to them. Let's focus on those first. And only in the very rare situation 
where you have enough resources to audit everything, would you go down to what matters to a div- to a business location rather than what matters to um, the enterprise? And so, in in this, this is what one of my problems I have with the standards IIA standards is it 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 has you prioritize the business unit and location, and then you do a second risk assessment as to what's important to the business unit or location. I don't do that. I only audit what is important to the enterprise as a whole. So I'm, I'm narrowing down my focus. And in that way, I can do more audits because uh, each audit is shorter and it's uh, no such thing as a full scope audit. I'm only auditing. If I go into marketing, if I go into uh, Shenzhen, if I go into Bordeaux, France, every year, I'm probably going to audit different things. Right, I won't audit the same thing every time because it makes no sense. I'll only audit what is happening at that location, which is meaningful and uh, significant to the enterprise as a whole. So to, to start with, I'm focusing my audits on where there's risk and where there's value from an audit. Okay, so that is making it small. But the other side of it is I want to be able to pivot quickly um, to a new or change risk. And we live in an environment where things are changing all the time. We can't afford to tie our people up for two, three months on an audit. And then something comes along, we can't spend the time. Imagine imagine the CEO comes to you, John, and says, "Um, I'm thinking of a major new initiative. What can you tell me about that and its likelihood of success, given your understanding of the environment, uh, the people, the systems, the process? Um, will will the money be well spent? What do you What do you think, John? And you look at your schedule and you say, Well, let me think. John's going to Mary's going to be available to work with this with Stuart in about six weeks. Is that okay? <laughs> How do you think the CEO is going to reply? Right. Right. We need to be able to pivot quickly. So. First of all, let's focus on what matters and eliminate from scope those other areas where we, it's low risk. It really is low risk. So let's take those out, make the audits smaller. And that way um, we'll be taking, it's like a dancer taking small steps. If you're taking small steps, it's easier to change direction. Right. Easier to not only change direction, but to speed up or slow down. So you become far more agile. And I'm not talking about agile auditing in the way that some people are, which is using the, the methodology used for software development. Um, right. That, I got, so John, a, a, a moment on that. I talked to one of the people who teaches that. And he, and he said, it's really important, Norm, to, to have this agile methodology. And to, to have these scrums at the end of uh, a few days or a week where you, you reflect on what's happened and you talk to management. And I was thinking, but well, we've always talked to management at, at least weekly, if not every day, to say what was going on. And, and as soon as we find an issue, we talk to them and get it resolved. Um, but then he said, and, and we make sure that we audit the, the most important areas first, and then the the... the in, then the, the less important ones area uh, later. And we can do that because we're using the agile methodology. And I said to him, Mark, 
why are you auditing those other areas? Right. You can only be auditing that first area. <laughs> right. Right? That's the only one that's high, a high risk. These other ones, you've just told me, are, are, are not high risk, and therefore you can push them towards the end of your time there. Just focus on the first one. So the idea of 200 is somewhat arbitrary. Um, it's a guideline, right, uh, for my direct reports in, in putting their section of the audit plan together for their areas. And so I would question if it was going to be more than 200. Now, 200 is maybe too little if you've got a systems implementation project and you're doing mm -hmm. a review. Yeah. Right? Um, or the more complex areas um, where there's an awful lot to look at as part of something that matters. But most of the... Most of the other audits, in my experience, if you've got the right people who are experienced people, capable people of doing work by themselves and getting, getting, getting to the opinion quickly and then stopping. This is another thing. People get do enough work to form an opinion and keep going. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right? Right. And that's, that's wasting time and my money. Um, I want them to, when they get done enough work to form an opinion, just stop. Yep. You don't need to do anymore. You don't need to prove it three times, right? So agility and the ability to move uh, with the business as it changes direction is really important. And especially these days when we, you know, our business and its strategies and its tactics are changing all the time. And we need to be able to move with that as well. I had... When I was the, the head of internal audit and risk management at um, Business Objects, and I think this is in the book, um, we were going to, we announced, the company announced it's going to be acquired by SAP. And it was going to be the largest acquisition in SAP's history by far. Mm -hmm. Two or three times the size of its next largest. And the CFO dictated that business object had to move away from Oracle ERP to SAP ERP within six months. Now, they don't get the other, other customers to move that fast, but they wanted us to move <laughs> for, for a number of reasons. And so obviously this, was, this whole acquisition, the business models were different, uh, was high risk. So I put my entire team on working with management to make sure that they were aware of and, and able to understand the risks involved and work with them to make sure that they were monitoring and taking the appropriate action. I reached out to the head of risk management at SAP and she gave me two or, two or three of her best people. I, had, I moved, I reached out to the head of internal audits at SAP and initially he said he would and then he thought better of it and said, no, Norman, I can't. It's not in my annual audit plan. Yeah. <laughs> right? So here we were, the biggest risk by far to SAP yeah. for that year. And yeah. it couldn't be involved because of their audit plan. Yes, that's not a not a good business decision. And I yeah, I think I get it. You know, like a lot of people sometimes they, they do like a business unit audit and then they kind of get stuck in like, you know, what matters to the business unit. But you're you're saying it 
you should still do that audit or that review, but more at the enterprise level, like what matters from that business unit to the enterprise. So the enterprise, what matters at the enterprise level. So I, I like that. I think that makes a lot of sense. But you know, one one practical question here is if you're doing more audits, you know, obviously like if you're you know doing uh you know 200 hour audits uh or reviews, you're gonna, you know, you're going to have more reports, right? And I think you you mentioned in the book one of the things that you did to kind of minimize uh you know the the time there you you kind of created a, a a cover sheet approach to you know the audit committee and the executive and operating management you know for them to read like then can you elaborate a little little bit more on that on that approach and like what other best practices you would have for someone who is like doing more audits and you know as a result they're going to have more audit reports to uh, to publish it's not a matter of quantity, John. It's a matter of quality. And we want... Let me... Another story, okay? Um, when, I, when I left public accounting uh, with what is now PwC, uh, my second job, my first one was, was uh, an interesting job in a very diverse organization uh, based out of San Francisco. But then I went to um, a very large financial institution, Home Savings of America, which at the time was probably about the same size as Wells Fargo. Um, it, was, it, was, it was very large. It was the largest savings and loan. And I picked up responsibility for a number of different areas from IT to um, some of the back office and, and also the financial side. And soon after I did that, I got a call from the executive secretary to the president of the company. President was this guy, Mario Antosi, uh, who I got to, to meet a few times and a very impressive guy he was. And the secretary uh, is more of an executive assistant, called me up and said, Norman, Mario gets a lot of audit reports and he's also very, very busy. He has a lot of things he wants to do, and he, but he wants to pay attention to all the audit reports. Um, and so what he does is he has me read them first. And I use a, a yellow highlighter to go through the report and highlight the, that text, which he needs to read, right? And she said to me, Norman, would you do that for me? Because you know better what's important in there. What are the key points? with the things he absolutely needs to read. So I thought, okay, I can do that. So I did that. I mean, I was I was a number two in the audit department. I was not the head of internal audit. So I was following somebody else's uh, format, um, a very traditional format. Um, roll forward a few years and I'm now, for the first time, the head of internal audit myself at Tosco. Mm -hmm. And I have to think about, okay, what am I going to put in the audit report? And this experience came back to me. And I said, Norman, I was talking to the mirror. Norman, should I use a yellow highlighter when I send it to the board, when I send it to the CEO, when I send it to the CFO, and highlight what they need to read? And I said, Norman, don't be an idiot. If they don't need to read it, why is it in the report? <laughs> 
So, so I took the approach of let's only put in the report what they need to know and leave the rest out. And that way we can bring it, bring, bring it down significantly. The other part of it is tell them what they need to know, not what you want to say. Okay. That's so okay. that's that's absolutely key because that way it's it's like that Shenzhen situation, right? I'm telling him you need to revisit your strategy rather than I'm using internal audit techno babble, which is the controls are not adequate, right? Um, and, and red, yellow, green, which he, he doesn't know what that means to him and to him. Right. So I do that. And as I think about it more, um, and I develop my thinking at Tosco, I realize that there's only three questions that anybody wants to know. Is there a problem? And is that problem important to me? Mm -hmm. What do I need to do? What do I need to do? What do I need to make sure somebody else does? And if there is no problem, they don't have to read the rest. It's That's right. They want to. If there is a problem, I want to tell them only that part which is really important to them and what they're trying to achieve. So that's the idea of the cover memo, which is, or, or the, the email with the attachment is in the email, I would answer those questions, tell them that, expand on it a little bit, right? And then they would bring up the report. So this way, I mean, we want them to, to get the information they need and take action when they need to take the action. So we've got to make it easy for our customers to consume our information, to know when it's important and when it can be set aside for the next airplane ride, when they're going to catch up on their reading. So they put this in with the audit report in with magazines and periodicals, okay, for reading later. <laughs> right. right. This way, they know immediately this is something you need to pay attention to now. Yeah, absolutely. It's you, you, what you said there is so key. It's like, tell them what they need to know, not what you want to say. Yep, that's uh, the difference. And in the book, you mentioned, you know, the final report or the audit report is not the final product. Change is the final product, right? And I 100% agree with that. Uh, would you say the same applies to SOX work? as well, because, you know, SOX is more compliance, obviously, but would you say that change is the final product there too? Uh, you know, when you look at SOX? So SOX can be a, a boring, dull activity, <laughs> or you can make it something special. It's up to you, okay? So you can make it a compliance exercise, or you can make it an opportunity to sit down with management as your doing the work, looking at their processes, looking at their controls, and helping them understand where they may make improvements, where there may be efficiencies, right? Helping them understand how to do it faster, better. Um, so you can do that. And to me, you know, some people just do socks. What I do is try to do more integrated auditing. So mm -hmm. if I can do an operational review 
or an assurance project in that location at the same time, okay, I can, I can drive some efficiencies. But what we did at MagStore and business objects especially was we, we really worked with management um, to make sure that they, they had more efficient and effective controls and processes, took advantage of technology, took advantage of their people to do things better. And so we were able to cut millions of dollars out of the audit fee. Um, we were able to uh, eliminate roadblocks and, 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 uh, and blockages in their financial systems. And we were able to get, for example, at Maxwell, we had multiple material weaknesses to where we had a clean opinion. Yeah. In the year. Yeah, I mean, and that's what it's all about. It's like that valley creation. It's something that you you touched on that uh, article that you wrote. It's not like you know, well, all just the, managing the risk is managing the risk to help the business make decisions and create value for the business. Exactly. So it's a I, mind, John. It's a mindset. It's it's the auditor has got to think of themselves more in terms of helping the organization rather than checking the organization. You said it. <laughs> that's it. In a nutshell, I think that summarizes very well the role of internal audit is to how can we help the organization instead of how can we check the organization? So that's a good, very good point. Uh, well, I, um, it was a pleasure to have you as my guest, Norman. Uh, like I said, I'm, I'm reading the book, enjoying what I read. I've been reading your articles. I enjoy what I read. And it was a pleasure to get to talk to you today. And I do want to open up for, you know, like, how can people connect with you? And what are some of the future projects that you're working on? So, as, as you mentioned, I have this blog. And um, I'm writing about different aspects of internal audits and risk management, sometimes about information. Um, once or twice a week, uh, normanmarks.wordpress.com. And of course, I've got multiple books out there, including Auditing That Matters. Um, it, was, it was interesting. I've got some of my risk management books I found out recently are required reading at uh, university classes. Oh, nice. For example, if you study risk management at UCLA, you're going to read my books as part of that. Um, and I'm, I'm working on a new one now talking more about continuous audit planning, okay, moving awesome. So uh, you can watch for that to be coming out in the next month or two. Yes, absolutely. I look forward to, you know, continue to learning from you and uh, I'll definitely get that book when it comes out. So I appreciate your time. Thank you again, Norman. My pleasure, John. You take care. You too.